Hello, everybody. Welcome to another NPC's Weekly News Roundup. It is February 19th, 2022. And tonight we are going to be talking about Patch 1.5 officially dropping for Cyberpunk 2077. Of course, it fixed a lot of things, but it also broke some other things, too. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about what broke. We'll also be talking about Steam uh, or Valve, more specifically, releasing CAD files for the Steam Deck, as well as their partnership with iFixit on replacement parts. And, of course, we'll also be talking about the demise of the Wii U and some insider information about what actually is going to be happening with the Wii U coming up with its shutdown for the storefront this next year. Again, it is February 19th, 2022. We're going to roll our intro and get things started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another NPC's Weekly News Roundup for the week of November 20th, 2020. It is Friday. It is, uh, where's my date? It's September 18th, 2020. Here's our first story, and this is actually breaking news for all of us right now here, too. Figured this is a, kind of a big one to cover, of course, with who it is. Joined via Discord by Kyle because we're in the midst of a pandemic still, and of course, everything is all kinds of crazy. So this thing is a chocker. I mean... Yeah, it's a beast. It's huge. You're doing a... Um, that we had the Resident Evil stuff, that they were successful with Castlevania. Welcome to another NPC's weekly news roundup. And it's the news time. I am joined, of course, by Kyle via Discord. Kyle, hello. What's up, man? And here we go. We are live. Of course, I am reporting from uh, the skies of Night City in Cyberpunk 2077, of course. My name is Travis, and uh, in his bedroom... With a Xbox Series X refrigerator and the processor I'm still supposed to buy from him, sitting right behind him, it's Kyle. Hey, Kyle. What's up? Good evening to you, sir. Uh, and what is up is uh, some news. Some big news, at least in the world of gaming, I suppose. I mean, you know, it's big news to us. It may not be big news to everybody, but let's just see what happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great segue and everything I mean, it, we're going to talk about it, there is some major news especially with the first story i mean it's like the end of a generation really and truly it is it that is very true so let's just hop right into it and that first story is talking about wii u and the nintendo 3ds or at least more specifically focusing on the wii u so at the beginning of this week, I think it was Tuesday, Nintendo announced that they were going to be shutting down access to the eShops for the 3DS and the Wii U in March of 2023 with subsequent shutdowns going through uh, this year where you can't pay with a credit card, you can't pay with the eShop cards you can buy in the store, none of that. Uh, they've already announced that stuff, and then they also caused some uh, confusion and concern in the community about how content was going to be made available for things that are on the Wii U and 3DS eShops in the future by saying we don't have any plans right now. Um, side note, though, by the way, before we keep going, uh, our next episode of the of Discuss actually talks about this, so be sure to go and look for that when it uh, publishes this next Thursday. Um, but even with all the news and, and chaos and that going on, um, Nintendo Life, uh, one of the news sites that specifically focuses on Nintendo content, uh, recently had a interview with an unnamed insider source from Nintendo of America about the Wii U and what um, Nintendo's thoughts were on it. And it's a really long article. Uh, but um, the one thing um, that I wanted to focus on, there's actually a couple things here about it, because it sounds like the Wii U's demise may be more than what we thought it was going to be, Kyle. Um so the first thing that the insider mentions is that, um, and again, from the article here, they say, while NX was being worked on, and NX was the internal name and what was shared out before it was known as the Switch, uh, you saw a test with Amiibo and a bunch of weird apps that interacted with those on Wii U, all just busy work to fill the sales void until NX would arrive. Same thing with the mini consoles, panic products aimed at filling the NX gap for Christmas. Um, so that was basically an admission there from a former Nintendo of America employee that that's why those existed, the Wii U and the, the Wii Mini. Um, farther along, though, in the article, they actually made mention about um, the end-of-life process, about the um, access to content, and that uh, even though all of those shops and stuff are going to be shut down, that you would still have the ability to access your DLC and access your games, even if the shop wasn't available anymore, that you'd have a way to be able to download them. Um, however, 
What the article makes mention of here, and I'll read this paragraph, it says, asked about the full end-of-life process and how long the ability to re-download previous purchases may stay in place for 3DS and Wii U, our source is less than optimistic about that timescale compared to Nintendo's official line of the foreseeable future. They predict a total shutdown of services within just a couple years. They will give notice in 2023 that the server will be shut down after a time. After this time, the suggestion is that online play, redownloads of purchase content, and everything else will disappear entirely. People will 100% lose their games if something happens to their Wii U or the drive they have their games on. So that's kind of the focus here of this discussion at this point, Kyle, is, I, I mean, what do you think about that? Nintendo put it out there that they said that these things were going to be more like available still even after that shutdown of of march of next year but it seems like this insider here that this former nintendo of america employee says that that's probably not going to be the case and it's going to probably be a good swift hardcore shutdown i mean what do you think about that you know i i i think it and like you said we we talk about it in our disgust that's coming up but i i think it's kind of abrupt but at the same time it it gives a finite end at the same point. I mean, they they have said that they're going to continue to allow you to re-download and stuff, but realistically, how you know how long are they going to be able to keep those servers open? How how long are they going to be able to host all this content? You know, without you know incurring so much extra cost to their company trying to maintain those servers just for the few people that want to download. And let's face it, at this point. It is really only a few people. There, there's a lot of uh, DS is still out there, but I don't know a ton of people that still use the online service except to maybe play online occasionally, and even then it's few and far between. I mean, when was the last time you collected a street pass off of anyone? That's very Probably true. Probably a long time. Yeah, that's very true. I remember taking my uh, taking my 3ds with me down to an anime convention and being able to walk around and just fill up mm-hmm. my uh my street pass like from just all over yeah like i would literally only be able to walk like 100 feet have to stop and clear the queue because i had reached max and then keep going and repeat the process for the entire weekend so yeah you're very yeah. you're very correct that that actually is not happening um, I think the last time I used the street pass is when I went on a vacation to the United Kingdom in 20, uh, let's see, when did I go? 2015 was the last time I remember doing anything street pass related. So you're right on that one. And, but I do agree, though, on the abruptness part. You know, it, it's expected, I'm sure, because Nintendo only runs their own servers to a point. I'm sure that they do lease cloud space from another provider, um, you know, whether it is Google, Microsoft, whatever. But even so, yeah, it is abrupt, but obviously that's cost that they want to be able to transition over to be able to being able to either increase their infrastructure for Switch Online or for something else. So I, I agree that it is kind of like been a time coming, but it does feel like it, it contradicts a little bit of what they had announced about things shutting down that this insider here says that it seems going to be a little bit more swift. It's going to be a little bit more abrupt than we were really anticipating. Well, and it, it seems like quite often, and you know, it, it maybe not so much the case with uh, more recent games such as Mario Kart, but it feels like Nintendo has to almost relegate something to the vault be- for, or you know, their personal vault for them to actually be able to re-release it onto a different console. Maybe that could be the case. I don't necessarily know. It could be. Like, it'd be funny to think because of, like, you know, you think licensing stuff, but the majority of things that are on there are Nintendo first-party titles right. anyway. Um, you know, a lot of the third-party stuff. Nintendo-owned music and Nintendo-owned assets, so. Exactly. So it does seem a little interesting, um, but I guess, yeah, maybe that is one thing. Uh, but I think the abruptness is probably what's going to hit a little bit more, but... Uh, it has been shown, I think it was uh, GameSpot who actually put out an article that said that people have been downloading games like Mad, though, from the 3DS and Wii U shops to be able to make sure that they've got what they want before everything does go kaput. And the surprising one is that Pokemon is actually one of the top titles being downloaded from those shops uh, for the 3DS. I think it's like here in the U.S., it's Pokemon, um, 
what is it? I think it was Pokemon. No, it was in the UK. Was Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Red? I think. Which that's kind of interesting to see. You know, that's where it ends up being. But um, you know, so people are moving really quick, and, and Nintendo's making an extra few dollars here to for people to get them. But yeah, I just I, I don't know. The abruptness just kind of feels a little weird to me. Yeah, that, and for Nintendo to cut it off so so quickly, you know, I mean, you know, they've announced dates and everything, but it it feels like everything is happening so fast. And maybe that's just me. I I mean, a year is quite a long time for you know to get get everything set in order to to you know have the games that you're going to have on that console for the rest of its life. So. But that being said, there's only so long those circuit boards last, you know, that, you know, the, the solder only holds out on some things for so long, especially when there's electricity going through it. And, you know, who knows how long people will continue to make those batteries or how reliable third party batteries will be in the future if you try and replace it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, but this article, though, from uh, Nintendo Life has a lot more going on than just talking about uh, this little bit of the abruptness that comes with the Wii U eShop shutting down and the 3DS eShop shutting down. There's a lot more into it about uh, some of Nintendo's thro- uh, eh, thought process with it, though, too. And uh, Alex here commented, or Serpent Knight, excuse me, we know Alex here personally, of course. He says, service cutoff notices always... Uh, seem to have these mad dash purchases. I'm sure that's strategic to a point, and it probably is. You're probably right, right. and that was why I was saying that though too. Is that um, is that Nintendo is obviously making at least probably a good chunk of change from this rush to get content off of there, whether they are assets that are already owned by somebody and they're just re-downloading them. You know, I mean, probably maybe getting DLC, but new purchases though, it's definitely going to be that way. And it's it's really driving their hand. Now, how much money they're going to make off of it, it's just like what Kyle was saying there, is that it's going to be one of those situations where it's trying to think of how many people are actually playing on these systems right now and want to actually access these things. So, Yeah, because it, it, who knows? It, it could be just a last hurrah. And in you know three, six, nine months' time, their servers may be completely barren again. They very well could be. They very well could be. So, uh, But obviously, of course, I think we should probably stop on that story. If you want to hear more yeah. about what we talked about with the Nintendo saga, of course, with uh, the 3DS and Wii U eShop shutting down and the future of that, be sure to look out for our new episode of Discuss coming up this next week. We move on, though, to our next story about Battlefield 2042 and how EA says that it was apparently hurt with the launch for Battlefield 2042 by Halo Infinite's multiplayer dropping out of nowhere on its 20th (laughs) anniversary of Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, So, apparently, yeah, this is what I was laughing about, though, too. So, apparently, um, there was a internal um, kind of roundtable with uh, developers and team members within EA where they were talking about... uh, where things went wrong with Battlefield 2042, where some of the issues actually resided at with it. And um, one of the comments there, and I want to actually, let's see, uh, apparently on the comment here, and this, so this article from Video Games Chronicles says, um, following the game's launch, DICE rolled out its day one and day zero patches to get the big count down, or bug count down further. On this uh, melee, who is the uh, chief operating officer for EA, Laura Maley. Uh, she had said, uh, continued, uh, let's see, she continued on here and said that Battlefield 2042's launch and patches meant the game was stable and early critical reception was good. However, according to EA, things took a turn, and that turn was the surprise release of Halo Infinite multiplayer. Um, and further along, it says, according to Maley, the comparison between both games was not favorable because Halo Infinite was a very polished title, whereas Battlefield 2042 contained bugs and wasn't polished. Uh, so here is the actual full comment from EA's uh, chief studios officer. I thought it was uh, chief operating. So chief operating officer, chief studios officer, maybe the same thing. So here is the overall quote. 
We launched in early access on a Thursday night in the U.S. and Friday morning and afternoon in Europe and Asia. The game was stable. The mean time between failures and hours of the game was in the green by industry standards, and the early critical reception was good. The day-to-day player retention looked strong throughout the weekend, but then things started to turn. The following Monday, Halo did a surprise release of their multiplayer mode. It was a small segment of the game, but it was very polished, and it was not a favorable, a favorable excuse me, comparison to our experience given some of the bugs and polish issues we had. So literally, in an internal meeting, in an internal roundtable with people in EA, the chief operating officer, chief studios officer, whatever you want to call her, admitted that Halo Infinite was to blame for Battlefield 2042's problems. And I say maybe, kind of a little bit. So I'm going to throw out the shenanigans um, award uh, for this week to that one because that's not necessarily the entire truth. Now, I've had some discussions with some other people about this, uh, some people I work with, just some other people I've talked to in forums. The interesting problems, of course, is that Battlefield 2042 was very hyped up and obviously suffered problems with the COVID-19 pandemic, like a lot of games did. Um, But a couple of the problems, though, is that they made a massive change um, in-engine, like the actual in-game engine, the Frostbite engine, had a huge overhaul that required them to basically go back and rework a lot of the things they had to do. Um, in tandem with that, of course, they had some people that came in. They had a bunch of high-profile people that also left. Um, and the fact that they only ran some internal closed tests with some uh, content creators and some of the big-time like streamers in that who play uh, EA games regularly, you know, a lot of the Battlefield series stuff, um, and then only also had the single beta um, that they are the ones who basically shot themselves in the foot with what happened with Battlefield 2042. And yes, things have gotten more stable since launch. The problem, though, still is that you still know you still don't have any in-game scoreboard and there's still no in-game VoIP where you can't talk to other people like even in your own squad, you can't talk to other people. Um, there is an in-game scoreboard now. They, yeah, see, okay, so that's been added. Thank you, Kyle. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate the correction. It was only was like, like last last week or two weeks ago. Exactly. Yeah, now, so now there it's, is. It's like, but again, with launch, though, it still didn't have those things anyway. Um, so, of course, to compare it to Halo Infinite having launched around the same time obviously makes sense, but that's not really the entire crux to, you know, your your problem with this game itself. So, I'm going to turn it over to you now, Kyle, because I want to know what you think about that. I mean, do you think that Halo Infinite really should be to blame for Battlefield 2042's failure or or at least how it got hurt in the numbers? Or is it really more of an EA dice problem? Nope, that's excuses. That's EA dice, honestly. Um, this is a consistent issue with them releasing their Battlefield games extremely buggy. I remember Battlefield 4. When it released on the Xbox One, it was one of the launch titles that I picked up with my day one console. I paid the extra and got the, the day one console so I could get the, the stupid achievement that's no achievement points. Um, And I, I sold it within three days because it was so broken. And I ended up buying it six months later to, to try it again. And it was still broken. So... Number one, it's a consistent problem with them. Number two, they you're right. They had the one beta weekend. Um, at the end of the weekend, I recall saying, dude, if this is if this is how it's gonna be in the main game, I don't think I wanna pick it up on launch. I mean I really wanna check out that that portal mode, but this is this is bad. And it, it was. There were there was so many issues, like the, the gunboat um, it was indestructible. It could hover up buildings. So you could just have gunboats like hovering on buildings. I guess people could still grapple to the sky. Mm-hmm. Why are these issues in the game? Halo, on the other hand, they actually... They delayed their title, number one, which means they delayed their multiplayer. So, in turn, that beta that came out that was so strategically placed, quote-unquote, to, to EA, 
um, was actually a late beta. And it should have been prior to, I don't know, the console's launch when the game was originally going to come out. If we all remember, there there was all sorts of flack that Microsoft was getting because Halo wasn't launching with the console. But aren't we glad now that it, it didn't because it is a super polished game, EA. And yeah, that's the reason that you failed is because your competitor released an extremely polished game and you gave us the same thing that you've given us for the past four releases. So it hurt. It did hurt. <laughs> yeah, because I was right there that I was like so hyped for Battlefield 2042 to be successful. I was so excited for this game to be one of those that uh, that you and I could play. And we did play for a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we I think both of us still have probably at least five to six hours in that 10 hour trial for Game Pass oh, members. Yeah. Um, but that's why we stopped is because um not only did it, it didn't seem change. like yeah not only did it seem like we had problems there but we also had issues with uh desync where it seemed like someone would shoot you but you weren't in the spot that you needed to be like they saw you before you saw them in the case of um of like some sort of weird latency problem um, which is weird because it wasn't an issue we had in the beta yeah um, so that means that the game got yeah. worse on release from the beta yeah, and, and we only then, got to play one level. Yeah, and then the other part too was um what was it? Um like I think the only fun that you and I actually had with it was Portal when we went back into the yeah. Battlefield 2042 or Battlefield 24 Battlefield 1942 setup when mm-hmm. we were playing on that old map and then it's like you hear the old music from Battlefield 1942 kicking off and it just it it was really cool. Um yeah. But that was just uh, those, those were a couple of the higher points, I think, for us. I think flying around in a helicopter, I got pretty good at. Um, the Being able to swap weapon attachments on the fly was pretty cool, too. But yeah, you're right, is that the number of problems that were there have just kept us away from playing it more. And I'm sure I might go back and check it out when things feel more polished, or just go back and reinstall Battlefield 4. From what I understand, they still have issues where occasionally the map will break and you can't even finish. It has Great. to time out. No one can actually win. Great. Well, then that has And I know me... we had that issue once or twice, so... Yeah, that has me frustrated. And this isn't to say that Halo Infinite, at least at this current point, is polished, though. Either, you know, it's definitely in a better state, but we only just recently got access again to big team battle together and have been able to actually play games there too well and even in big team battle we had an issue i was it you and i that had the issue or i i may have been playing with someone else that we were playing the uh where you have to collect the shards and it was in the uh, map that has the tower in the middle well the uh shards had actually spawned inside the top of the The power seeds yeah um and that was on um oh my god why do i forget this map name already um yeah it's like it's like what i consider the new age valhalla or right or new age blood gulch i guess is what i would call but yeah exactly is that it spawned those power seeds right in the middle during overtime up in an area where they couldn't actually get to it's like they hadn't dropped through where they were supposed to and they had just spawned up above but that was fine because the game ended up going on a little while longer but even so yeah um Focusing back here, of course, on the Battlefield 2042 stuff, though, is that you are right, is that it's not, it's still not in a better state. It's still one of the um, worst rated games on Steam right now, and they still have a ways to go before it's going to be where we would expect it to be. And that even includes all of this other talk about the potential rumors of spinning off Portal to be its own separate thing, or even going into a sort of free to play model already, which for a game that's only been out now for yeah for like yeah it's only been out for like four to five months that's not really a a very good thing to be talking about so right i just i don't know how i feel about what's going to be happening and i i mean just as a final note to specifically speaking to ea there there's a difference we we've even said that that halo still has parts that are broken but there's a difference between something that's still fun to play even though it's broken or something that's so broken that it's not even fun anymore. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So. 
Yeah, that's very Take true. Take notes, EA. Take notes. <laughs> yeah, get get that pad and and uh, that notepad Quit and that paper excuses. out there and get that going. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but let's move on here to the next one and uh, more Halo stuff, of course, to talk about. And this is actually more exciting than anything for for us, of course, as it comes to community-created stuff, is that Halo Infinite's Forge mode has leaked out in videos. And I have queued up here, of course. I'm going to probably have to make the uh, adjustment on Chrome. So thank you for past me for not getting ahead on this one uh let me go ahead and um let's see i gotta adjust the screen here god dang it kyle i'm behind like i'm usually pretty good you're, about you're having good. everything I... already set up and adjusted but i'm gonna go ahead and get this going while we talk about it just a little bit here of course but yes uh, i'm really really excited about forge mode um especially you know you look at some of the some of the different games that have come out here recently and what was previously you know, managed in Forge um, as far as, like, gameplay modes and, I mean, even videos. Um, man, I'm so excited. The, yeah, the, the, me the, too. People are going to make games, I feel like, now with the new Forge mode. Yeah, I'm very excited about exactly what this is going to look like because, um, so the video we have going on here is actually an almost 50 minute long, just kind of going through everything possible in Forge mode. And this comes to us from YouTuber Unseen Halo. Uh, so what this YouTuber is going through and doing is actually going through each different option in the menus for being able to spawn in different items uh, and such within um, within Forge and actually giving us an idea of what things we can put in, what we can modify, what we can tweak, what we can adjust, and more. And this by far, I mean, Forge in all the previous titles up through, you know, even the original with Halo 3 gave us quite a bit of flexibility in what we could do. But and this alone... Set. Yeah, this alone now, though, gives so much room for growth that you could even bring things in here. Like if I skip ahead a little bit, like, oh, I actually got to that right spot. That was actually one of my favorite things to put up here. Let's see. Uh, there we go. There's this this billboard in here called Drink Like a Spartan, Be a Spartan, Goss, Cherry Lemonade, 100% Fluid. You know, it's this billboard that just appears there. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just this little thing that doesn't exist anywhere else. Or maybe it does on one of the maps and we're not sure. Uh, but there's some of these other things that can be spawned in, too. Um, not only is it like every single different rock type can you spawn in from the different maps that you've played on to make like different crazy worlds and, and visions that you might have, like stuff that we've seen put together in Forge mode using existing tools. But now there's even more stuff in here to develop like even more things and like some of the effects that are in here, too. Like, do you remember in Halo uh, 3? where you could actually spawn in uh, that massive, like, energy ball that if you fell into it, it would, um, you know, it, it basically, like, vaporize you or blow you up. It was just yeah. a death ball. Those are some of the same things you could put in here, but imagine them on even a grander scale uh, where they could modify or manipulate the environment, like wormholes as well, or um, instead of just being, like, the portals that you'd go through, like, the actual, like, teleportation portals and such. Um, there's a lot of things like that that also exist in here. Uh, there's abilities to make adjustments to the vehicles in the game as well to the sense of like not necessarily like making, say, like a wraith that I'm showing back here do something completely crazy and wild, but maybe change the color scheme or, or, or something on it. So that way it looks like the original color wraith back from uh, the original Halo games, that that deep like purple uh, blue color that, you know, we were used to for it. Um, and provide those textures that make it look smoother. You know, there's a lot of that. Or bring in some vehicles that maybe, you know, we actually haven't been able to mess around with. Um, I know it's in here somewhere, but I probably won't be able to find it in the full video. Uh, set it to daytime. Set it to nighttime. Change the change the weather. Uh, add in a sandstorm so that way it blocks everything out. Um, th there's a lot in here. And there were a few other people who had actually put things up. I'm going to try to look for these now, Kyle. Uh, but there were a few people who actually had um, like a winter setting on one map. And then another one was yeah. the uh, I think it was I think it's Marketplace, which, whichever map it is um, that has like the little arcade off to the side. Um, they actually put that one into a or, or no, no, it was actually the Marketplace. Well, the outside Marketplace one, not the um, 
Oh, the bizarre. Bizarre. Thank you. Yes, they actually yeah. had that one where they had put it into um, a nighttime setting, and then they put it nighttime. They changed something with the lighting, and they also brought the sandstorm in. If you want a great zombies map, like a good infection map, that right there oh, is just by default the so perfect eerie. setting. It only required a couple tweaks. The sandstorm, yeah, so the so the, eerie. Da- the nighttime, and oh yeah, and. Oh, excuse me. Those are all out there. Like, there's videos of people who are toying with this and messing with this to show off what it does. But I can't find the video right now. But they're out there. Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's just it's awesome to think about that there's all these different things that are out there that will allow for this level of granularity in Forge that we kind of have come to expect with each if different iteration of Halo. And that it keeps on getting more and more complex. But it doesn't seem like it's trying to shy away by really making things as pared down and as limited. Like you see these things in the game, but you're only going to be able, you know, it's like you're only limited to do like these 20 things instead. You know, it doesn't seem like there's the, you know, it's like all the eggs are in the basket for this one. Yeah. Like I, I feel like this is, I don't think that any forge mode has ever been incomplete, but to say that this is, by far the most complete i would definitely be an understatement as far as like what you can it seems like you'll be able to do with the the forge mode and and just be able to create so i i don't know i'm I'm excited to see not only you know what kind of game modes and levels that people can kind of create and you know make available to the community hopefully but also kind of see what kind of animations and stuff people create like the the good old days of red versus blue that's actually one thing I'm kind of excited about. Like maybe it will have that source filmmaker style mm-hmm. um, approach to it where it will let you manipulate like um, like manipulate Spartans or enemies or, or anything like that, you know, to kind of move around in different fashions. That would be kind of cool, but I would expect more of that to be on the PC version, obviously. Now, when right. can we expect to see this? There's obviously no date. It is still set for release sometime, I think they said, in quarter two of this year. Um, but there's no information on exactly when that's going to happen because we're also waiting on co-op. But this does look relatively polished. I think it's just how how 343 is going to actually make it available to players because part of the problem is that, yes, all of these assets are technically available to you in the game already, but for a lot of them, though, how many of all of these assets that are available are generally in your like view at the same time you've got to think about the processing power not only the graphical side of it but for any ai you've also got to include the cpu processing to um to compensate for everything that is going on so there's got to be some sort of limit like there was in previous versions of forge that say you can only spawn x amount of things in so which actually kind of makes me interested to see what kind of capability the series x is going to have uh, as far as putting assets into a single level or being able to manipulate um, assets and quantity of assets in a certain level uh, in Forge mode. Yeah, I almost kind of like hope what will happen is that on the Series X that it will let you plug in a keyboard and mouse to actually help manipulate things so it's easier than using a controller. But then when it comes yeah. time to spawn in and test, you could just pick up the controller and start testing it out. So you can actually flip-flop between both on the fly without having to make any sort of like adjustments in the settings menu to enable keyboard and mouse, you know, in, instead of the controller. You know, just let you be able right. to go through similar to what they do in uh, the development and testing of games anyway that you switch between both on the fly. So that right there kind of has me like that that I'm hopeful for it. I don't really expect it, but I don't know. Things have changed. Things have changed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But in things that haven't changed, let's I love these segues. I'm so good at these segues here. I should win an <laughs> award for the best segues ever. Uh <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 recently released their update version 1.5 to address a lot of the issues, a lot of the complaints, a lot of the problems that have been there since the game's launch and also start to get a lot of things fixed on older generation consoles on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4, as well, of course, as bring a lot of things that they were hoping to include um, really at launch, but now, of course, are going to be here. That patch came out. However... 
there were issues. In Cyberpunk Uh-oh. 2077 fashion, of course, we did have problems that came with the patch. So uh, the issues that end up being presented, again, another article here from Video Games Chronicle. Uh, it looks like the issue right now is that, um, and apparently there's been an update released since this article came out, um, is that there is an issue that was stopping some players from launching the disc version of the game on PS4 after applying the patch, and that the game was crashing on launch if you were playing it on PC. Uh, the workaround for PC was, um, according to CD Projekt Red, says the crash is most likely caused by an audio software conflict. So far, we've identified this issue with audio drivers such as Avalut, uh, Nahimic, or Sonic Studio, which Sonic Studio, I believe, is normally packaged in with uh, Asus boards. So if you use... And Nahimic is actually packaged in with MSI gear. So there you go. So, so I, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, Sonic Studio normally, like, even with their drivers, normally it's like Sonic Studio and I think probably like Nahimic are... Uh, secondary applications you can get from those board vendors to manipulate and mm-hmm. manage your audio. So if you don't have those installed, you probably haven't been experiencing the issue. But for a lot of people, especially who maybe don't build their own but have gone through a pre-build company like NZXT or CyberPower or iBuyPower, it could very well have already been installed right off the bat and just it's there. So one thing to consider. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, PS4 issues, though, are definitely more of a problem and people have been trying to fix it, uh, you know, through means that are normally expected to, when there's a problem, uh, people have gone so far as deleting their save game data and trying to start from scratch. Um, they've actually tried to put their PlayStation four into some sort of like safe mode, uh, to be able to boot back in to try to get it to work. And it just doesn't want to work. Uh, but again, for what has come out, it looks like um, they have released a patch on PlayStation 4 since that, and it seems like it has since resolved the issues. But come on, Kyle, like, am I too far off to say that this should not have actually been a shock? No, I feel like if they would have waited until releasing it until May of this year, it would have been the definitive game that they wanted it to be. And I know that's a long time out. And, you know, it, it it's a far cry from what we were saying, you know, probably a year ago. But, man, looking back at the issues I've experienced and the issues other people have experienced and um, just, you know... Me right here. What yeah. you've experienced, you know, um, it, it's like, man, th- this game was not finished. It was nowhere close to finish finished they they shouldn't have even had crunch they shouldn't have even been worrying about crunch until last december this last december um but i yeah it's this is bad It, it it's just bad and the fact that you know the game wasn't even ready for the next gen consoles where it was supposed to work the best for god's sakes it was supposed to be an Xbox One game at launch. At launch. And... I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just... What a rocky road for that one. I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's not a surprise, really. It's just... It's it's funny to think that they've still had to go this way, but even with the bugs that have been introduced, like you and I talked about before we started the live stream tonight, is that I'm going to download the update. It's like 40-something gigs from Steam, and I'm going to start the game over from the beginning. I didn't really make it too far. Like uh, I don't even know how many hours I actually have in Cyberpunk right now. Um, Let me see. Does it show me here? Uh, I've only played 12, just under 12 and a half hours of that game. And... I think I'm just going to start over from the beginning again and just try to figure it out because there's a lot of things in here. Like I'm looking at, you know, like the, the full change log, like the full patch notes for this is immense. Like I'm talking like, it feels like reading a dissertation almost with how many things have been adjusted and modified. Um, However, I will make note of a couple things here though, more so for, um, some PC specific stuff just to make our, um, uh, just to make our, um, viewers aware of this though, of course, though, too. Uh, so 
on the PC side of things, um, they will be, they are changing the minimum system requirements for Cyberpunk for a couple different things. One is that um, they are now changing the minimum graphics card requirement to a GTX 970. It was originally a GTX uh, 700. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It might be an, a 750, maybe at the bare minimum. Um, I'll have to go back and try to see if I can find an original screenshot of it. Uh, but um, it's now changing that. However, they have said that it won't stop. The game won't stop functioning. They are just no longer going to be testing patches against those graphics cards now. Um, and they will so also it may stop functioning is the problem. It could, but they say they're at least not going to stop testing on, or they're going to stop testing on it. And then, of course, for anybody who has been a holdout for so long now with Windows Seven. Due to technical limitations of non-native DirectX 12 implementation on Windows 7 uh, uh, and the end of or limited support for graphics drivers, game updates will not be supporting Windows 7 after June 15th, 2022. If, patch if updated with patches published after that time, the game may stop working on this operating system. So they're basically saying if you're running Windows 7 after June 15th, you're basically just SOL. It's going to be one of those things that they have no guarantees whatsoever and are going to be just putting all of their emphasis on everything else, which I guess really Honestly, does make sense. If you're running Windows 7, what are you doing? <laughs> what I do like, though, is this, Kyle, especially for someone like you and I who and a lot of other gamers who do put their um, like these larger games onto uh, non solid state drives like your standard spinny mm -hmm. disks. They have a mode now called HDD mode. It's, uh, it's got an auto-detection option. It says, when enabled, it automatically detects which drive the game is installed on, and if necessary, boosts data loading and crowd activity at the expense of crowd variety, extra loading screens, and less detail in the streets when driving fast. So they're providing boosts to different things while tweaking things down if it sees that you have the game installed on a hard drive instead, which is kind of cool. Um, That's smart. Yeah, and then they've also added um, some support for. They've also added support, which is cool for me, is for AMD's uh, Fidelity FX uh, Super Resolution or AMD's FSR. So, um, excuse me, they are going to be they. That's in there now, which means that uh, FSR is actually the competitor to NVIDIA's uh, DLSS. And so, of course, for me with an AMD card, that's actually kind of happy, like cool to see. But I wanted to make note on the PC parts there again. There's this list is long. There's a lot of things in here. So I'm going to leave it to you guys out there in the crowd to go and read that yourself and enjoy what is said. Because Jesus Christ, it is a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, Kyle, I'm done with, I'm done tearing down Cyberpunk 2077. And I'm ready to talk about this other teardown um, as well in tandem with some other things. And that is the Steam Deck teardown. Again, I'm so good with these segues. I need to just go print myself a certificate or a little get myself a little blue <laughs> ribbon for right here that says best segue guy. All right. Um, so, <laughs> so a lot of videos have been coming out of uh, the Steam Deck getting torn down. Um, it's, it's awesome to actually see what the inside of this device looks like uh, because Valve did provide us a neat little teardown of the Steam Deck to a point, but stopped and said, yeah, we're just going to end there. Um, but um, uh, but Linus Tech Tips, Gamers Nexus, um, have all done teardowns of the machine itself and have done even more in-depth stuff. But uh, iFixit has also done a teardown. And this is where I want to start off here with this story, is that uh, Valve has announced that they are going to be in a partnership with uh, iFixit where iFixit will offer official replacement parts for the Steam Deck in their store, meaning that replacement thumbsticks, replacement batteries, probably replacement SSD. A lot of the things they said that you can replace are going to be available in iFixit's store along with all of their other things available. And that is a very awesome thing, that it's not just limited to Valve providing the replacement parts. Oh, yeah, no, that's like a super kick in the face to every other console manufacturer saying... Right to repair, we got them covered. Yeah, no kidding. And so behind me right now, I have got the video going of the um, of the uh, Steam Deck teardown from iFixit, and you know it's God these videos. It's it's it honestly is technical, like it's tech porn. Really, is what this thing is. 
it's just so cool to see these things torn apart and looked at. And especially for, <clears throat> especially for something that's going to have, that has this type of support from um, the hardware manufacturer that says, yeah, you can open it up and you can replace these parts here. We are cautioning you that you need to be careful when doing these types of things, but here you go. By all means, it's not going to kill anybody. That That's just one of those neat things that they support. So, well, and I mean, it's just so if cool. it's your stuff, you should have the right to try and fix it. You know, if you have the know how or if you want to attempt to, you should have that ability. It shouldn't be that you just have to send it away to someone. And, you know, that that's the only way it can ever be repaired. Yes, that's that's actually one of the big things is that in the grand scheme of right to repair, you shouldn't need to send it away to somebody, but if you do need to send it to somebody, it doesn't need to be the manufacturer. It doesn't need to be right. the company that made the thing. It it should be able to be a third party person or like we're seeing here in the video, it should be easy enough to take this thing apart because especially with like the steam deck, for example, or since we're talking about steam deck anyway, is that the inside of the device actually has things labeled as to what they are. They actually have um, they have little bits in there of like what each thing is. Like to label, you know, is simple enough that what the right thumbstick is, what the left thumbstick is. It has all of that listed out. Um, the ribbon cables are labeled. It's very easy to follow. It's just so cool. God, it just makes me so excited for yeah, you to be able to actually have this in your possession, you know, and that you're going to be able to do this stuff too. Yeah, no no joke. The engineering behind this thing, like once they get the back opened up, I mean it's so clean and so neat. Um just the way it's put together, it looks so easy to work on and the fact that, you know, the uh actual analog sticks are all modular. You just few screws, take it out, replace them. Um so you don't ever really have to worry about stick drift necessarily because you can fix it yourself. And, you know, I, I do see a lot of those little ribbon cable flappy things that I personally hate in, when I have to work on controllers or handheld mm -hmm. consoles. But, you know, I, I mean, the fact that it's, it's so well put together, it's not like they're crammed together real tight and hard to work on. Um, that, yeah, it, it's just, it's so much more neat inside than, than what you, I'm used to seeing in other, other consoles. It really is, and that's actually something that just has me all kinds of excited for the future of Steam Deck 2, especially because we saw Microsoft's approach to like the Elite controller that they came out with, where you can change out the different, um, like the the all the different things, different paddles, different thumbsticks, you know, get a different way going for the D-pad. Um, I'm hoping that we actually see some level of this come to the Steam Deck as well, too, that you're able to pull off the back of it and change out to, you know, some maybe different types of thumbsticks or uh, change out the actual buttons to something else, though, you know, so that way it doesn't necessarily interfere with your ability to play with the Steam Deck, but it makes it better for you, especially if you are someone who might have um, a problem with actually playing on something like this. If you have some sort of disability, you know, make it so that way you can play right. games on the go without having to take some sort of mass crazy setup like Microsoft's um, adaptive controller for the Xbox and PC to use something like this. That that kind of gives me some hope for at least future development. Well, and I, and I did see an article today that um, they are actually testing other uh, versions of Linux on the Steam Deck. So I mean it, it it definitely opens up the possibility uh for for more capability with stuff um within the Steam Deck. So that that's really cool too. I think so as well. I think that's actually a very big thing for them to also do is to test out the other flavors of Ubuntu or not Ubuntu but just Linux, excuse me, because yeah. I I am an Ubuntu fanboy. Um, I like my Linux Mint. So to be able to have those available and they still work with the Proton layer that they have for being able to make the games work as well as their their Steam Deck interface, that's cool with me. That's, that's a great thing probably to do. Probably just big picture mode. It but... probably is big picture mode in Steam Deck style, you know, whatever. I'm fine but with that, though. Same same here. I'm, I have no issue with it because big picture mode was built to be manipulated with a controller anyway. So mm -hmm. that's really a big thing. Um, so 
even with that, though, with a teardown out and the iFixit partnership, Valve also this week in their GitLab have published CAD files, the actual designs for the Steam Deck for anybody to go and download. And that also includes 3D files. So those with 3D printers, if they want to print off a Steam Deck for whatever reason, can go and do it. But here's the net benefit with being able to have those files. It means that they're the official files, of course, from the manufacturer, from the, from the, the or the hardware developer. Um, it means that you don't have to go and try to make these yourself. If you're one of those kinds of makers, you don't have to go and get the dimensions. You don't have to use some sort of scanning tool to actually figure out the size of this thing. Um, but it also, uh, but it also opens up meaning that outside of it, going back to those who have disabilities or need a little bit more help with something like the Steam Deck anyway, you can now go and make the necessary tweaks to the existing CAD files by, you know, add-ons or little adjustments in that um, to make it work to your benefit. Like, what I'm seeing here, of course, in, in um, from what the teardown has actually shown us is that if you don't like those bumps on the back for the grips is that you could go and completely shave those off if you want in the Steam Deck, right. in the actual CAD files. You want to make that thing thinner with doing that? You could do it. You obviously, of course, would need to print out your own buttons to replace the triggers that are on the back, the four trigger buttons that are there. Um, but you could make it so that way at least it's got a little bit more of a thinner profile like the Switch does or like the ANEO or like the One X or like the, um, like the GPD Win. There's that, you know, sort of like option out there for you if you're that type of tinkerer. But I want to at least put that out there. So if you want to go get those CAD files and start poking and prodding around, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, and I mean, on the other hand, too, uh, with the CAD files out there, another thing to consider is the fact that now that the console dimensions are are out there, uh, things like cases, grips, screen protectors for the actual unit itself um should create um more variety in the market and actually you should see uh less expensive more quality cases i mean you will see a lot of uh non-quality cases and or grips out there but i i think we'll have a larger variety of good quality accessories to choose from um because the fact that they're they've been so open about the cad files and and the actual dimensions and everything about the system. Yeah, I really, I really expect a lot of that. Like, I could actually see, um, based on the actual X-ray that iFixit had done by Creative Electron, that there is enough space working around in the Steam Deck that someone with enough time and patience to actually sit there and figure it out could potentially make this um, fit into an even smaller profile so it's not this big chungus that it is right now, you know, that it could be fit into something else. Or they could figure out an idea to potentially take the Steam Deck and pull out all the guts from it instead and turn it into a a desktop computer, like an actual home console instead. And oh, then dear. congrats, we are back to Steam Machines, Kyle. Yes, yeah, Val we finally did square it. One. We went back to square one. We did it. As long as it, they put the screen in the side of the computer, that would just be perfect. Of course, Kyle. That's what they have to do, obviously. No, I'm just because it I'm has saying, to remain portable. Like they could put it in like uh I, I don't know, I like a, a Leon Lee with a, a handle at the top, but it has to be portable still, right? I guess. It, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> um, I mean, all, all I see with it, though, looking at it is honestly is that the is that because it's laid out the way it is, is that someone could really just take the existing Steam Deck files and just make something, though, that is definitely unique, but also fill that gap where it requires partnerships with these companies that do make uh, cases and like you said, screen protectors and all these other accessories, you know, and now instead can come to the maker space and you don't have to rely on spending, you know, uh, 50 to a hundred dollars to go and buy a case for something. It could be as simple as downloading a file and printing the stuff yourself. Or for that matter, we might even see replacement shells for the back, for the front 
and just all sorts of wacky accessories that are colorized and customized for personal preference. Agreed. So, Absolutely. It's really cool to see, you know, that the the Steam Deck has such like an open future potentially. That's one of the things that I'm really seeing with a lot of this. What I'm still wondering is, you know, like as fast as stuff changes in the um in the world of PC hardware anyway is how long is it going to be before we see a refresh to the Steam Deck to meet, you know, potentially the next the the next level, I suppose. You know, and what's the support mm-hmm. going to be for the existing Steam Deck to potentially replace that out? Is there going to be a way to help with the recycling process to pull your old motherboard out and send that off to to Valve or to iFixit and pay only a small price in the exchange to get a new board that has all of the updated hardware on it. Yeah. You know, that that's my kind of hope there is that that's what does carry on and continue. But we I guess my only question now uh, is where could I get one of those steam deck mini mod mats? That thing's cool. <laughs> steam deck mini mod mat. What are you talking about? Oh yeah. No, at the top, the, the, the video at the top before you start it, uh, the picture where it's deassembled next to the bottom of the unit, they've got a Steam Deck mod mat, but it's like a small one. It's smaller than the console. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know why anybody would need that, but that is pretty cool. Yeah, just because if I take down my Steam Deck, I want that mod mat. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, let's move on here to our last story, and I don't actually have a title for this one created because we added it there at the last minute. Um, talk to us, though, Kyle. Wrap us up here on this one with this story because, I mean, this is pretty cool, though, of a find, and I swear to God, why couldn't we have been the ones to find these? You know? Yeah. What's um, going on? So this last week there were a couple of uh nebraska based resellers uh that call themselves game room uh that found basically a collection it was a warehouse um that was left over from a game store but essentially they had they had obtained the rights to the warehouse from what i understand and it's the first time the warehouse has been opened in 27 years. And what ensued was just total chaos and is potentially could change the entire used market as we know it because they actually found you um sealed copies of like Super NES, uh Sega Saturn and Genesis games and not just like the most common ones we're talking rare, like Splatterhouse, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy three, you name it. It it was it was probably there, and not just one or two copies. We're talking like anywhere from like five to potentially twenty, which twenty could totally change the landscape of of a game. Uh, for instance, uh, with Chrono Trigger, right now a sealed copy is valued at over twenty four hundred dollars. That's at least what the last copy sold for. I think it was twenty four thirty four or something like that is what the last copy sold for sealed. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's that's a hell of a find. Like, you know, it's the fact Man, that it, it's like all these different um, like games being found and the fact that they are in their original packaging nonetheless, too. You are right, is that this is going to really change the landscape for for used game or not used games but for um for retro games especially for those few that you were talking about though too like they even have a copy of atari jaguar alien versus predator it just came up here Mm -hmm. i've got the video playing in the background um but it's just it's nuts to think about because it just it's going to modify what we've been seeing in the used market anyway or in the retro market because a lot of these games have been rare for so long. Now it's like, we're going to start to see maybe a devaluation of sorts because now you've got all these other ones that are starting to enter the, um, uh, to actually enter the marketplace for sale. That being said, there is the potential, however, that they could grade copies, which 
could not change the market all that much if they go and get a bunch of copies graded and put them on auction sites uh, due to the the recent um, influx of crazy buying from heritage auctions. And, well, we we did a whole thing on that. And, yeah, that's a mess. And hopefully that's not the route that they go. I would like to see potentially at least one of every copy and this this is an awful big wish but uh one of every copy maybe gets sent to a video game preservation society um because man this is this is too big of a find to not actually preserve some if not you know a good chunk of it yeah and the fact though at least especially on grading because like the he's holding on to that copy of chrono trigger for the super nintendo that it's sealed still like it's still got the actual like display hanger on the back of it to hang up on the wall in the game case you know it's it's still in there like perfectly as if it was just shipped from nintendo um like from their warehouses just like the other day it's completely wild to think that this stuff is still out there and I absolutely agree. I do hope that these games like do like, you know, they, they probably some will end up in auction. Some they may end up keeping for themselves though, too, just because of the rarity of some of them. Uh, but I, mean, I, 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 I agree. Would. I honestly, would. Uh, same here. I agree though, is that I do actually expect to see these things. Like I, I really hope that I like that. We expect to see these things appear in the, um, in some sort of video game museum of some type, especially those that might be lacking in some of these older titles, um, to help kind of at least show where some of these things are at though. You know, it's just, it's so cool. Like even if it is still wrapped up in the cellophane and not made available to play or something, you know, at least it's still in the catalog available for future generations. You know, you know, I look at tech now and where we, we were at, you know, 20 years ago, Eventually, one day, we'll just have a ray that can read the game through the friggin' box. So leave it in the sealed box. You're really hoping for a lot, aren't you? <laughs> you really are hoping for a lot. I really am on the on this one. But in all seriousness, I it's so cool that th- this was such a big find. And I do hope they bring some of it to market. Uh, but I do believe some of it belongs, you know, in that that video game preservation society, just so we have, you know, that that piece of time preserved. And, you know, it really is uh, as much art as as just, you know, film as sometimes, you you know, some of the stories that are created are, are as good as novels. So why why can't games be celebrated as much as, you know such absolutely absolutely and i think this is hopefully you know fingers crossed this is gonna be one of those things that we do actually get to see sometime soon you know that they do end up being available for future generations so there should be a smithsonian uh smithsonian uh of video games there there was like the smithsonian i mean there, has there is a section there but i mean there should be a whole museum <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to fight you on it because you're not wrong there either. So, uh, But with that, though, that actually is it for the news this week. Holy crap. Okay. So with that, that is it for the news, right, Kyle? Is that everything? I think so. We wanted to talk about I at least. So. I'm sure there's plenty of other stuff, but we don't have time for that. Oh, you yeah. Got, but th- there's, there's always other stuff. There always is other stuff. <laughs> and, of course, as there always is with other stuff, we do other stuff as well. Or more specifically, we haven't really been doing any live streams or anything like that so that's that's our bad i haven't done any quick saves the last couple weeks that's my bad but we do have a whole back catalog of content not only here on our youtube page but we've also got stuff available on our podcast as well so if you're here on youtube hit that subscribe button and notification bell so when we do drop content do go live you do at least know when we are up and running and you can come check us out hang out with us drop a comment drop a like all that fun stuff let us know that you're here chat along with us as we're doing the things we're doing of course for the podcast though itself uh we do have a new discuss episode that just went up this last week um oh my god what did we talk about this last week Oh man. We got the Nintendo one coming up next week, so be sure to subscribe for that one. What did we do last? Why am I already forgetting what we did this Holy last week? Cow. It's uh, it, it's been a couple weeks, folks. It's been a really busy couple yeah, weeks. It's, it's uh, been game one company of those. acquisitions. 
was the last one. Or That's no, right. Uh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Future of handheld gaming is what we talked No. Oh. Yeah, Future of Handheld Gaming what? is what we talked about last because we talked about, of course, going into Steam Deck, you know, talking about the the PC handheld stuff as well. So that's out there. Um, go give that one a listen from this last week, The Future of Handheld Gaming. It actually is a really good episode. It's always a fun one to listen to and talk about. Um, and so are all of our other episodes as well. Um, but if you want to listen to those, our homepage is on uh, is at anchor.fm slash the-mpcs-podcast. Or, of course, we're available on your podcast pl- favorite podcast platform of choice, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart. Oh, my God. We are, like, everywhere. So go and find us in one of those spots and give us a listen. We definitely are very much, like, having fun with what we talk about when we get into these discuss episodes. So stick around with us, of course, and give those a listen as well. In the meantime, of course... As always, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. Laters.